Welcome back to MVPs. What the fuck? What the fuck? What the fuck? What the fuck? Paranormal podcast, where we talk about, well, everything the paranormal encompasses. So you ready? Let's fucking do this. We'll give us a shot. Don't make fun of me. Oh, what's happening? <laughs> okay. All right. All right. Well, welcome back to. <laughs> sorry, I'm sorry. I just couldn't help myself. Go ahead. Oh God, that was nice. You got some depth <laughs> on that laugh. That scared the shit out of me. I was, I was, yeah, it scared me. I was surprised you didn't shit yourself training that hard. I don't know. <laughs> Go ahead. I'm sorry. I had All to right. do it. All right. Welcome back to another episode of MVP's What the Fuck Paranormal. Uh, I am today's uh, host, Chris. I'm with me today is Melanie, Paul, and the notorious Evan makes his return. Ooh, ooh. And we're going to be discussing, uh, we're going to continue with the Warren case files. And tonight's topic is going to be the Amityville Horror. Allegedly. Allegedly. Highly allegedly. Yeah. Highly. So welcome back. Oh, boy. Got boy. A, got more stuff to unload here, I believe, Melanie. Yeah, but, you know, I started doing some. I I went down the rabbit hole of yes. the DeFeos. Oh, yes. Me too. <laughs> what a fucking rabbit hole that is. I'll be right. honest with you, and Melanie might agree with me on this. I think that is a little bit more interesting, or maybe a whole lot more interesting, than the actual accounts from the Warren, just Fuck to be yeah. honest. Way more. So, Fuck yes. yeah. And it's actually scarier to me. Yeah. Yeah. So you want to start us down this rabbit hole, Melanie? No. You're hosting. No? I'm, okay. So, <laughs> all right. So, as ever, you take all point. Right, fine. All right. So everybody knows that the Warrens are supposedly associated with this. Um, this is their most popular uh, case file, and it is the result of um, the Lutz family who uh, bought the house and ran out of it 28 days, 28 days later, supposedly, and um, had a bunch of experiences, and the Warrens got involved. Um, so, but before that, um, the the history that led to the supposed haunting um, is of the DeFeo murders that happened in the house uh, about a, I think it was a year or two beforehand. It was a November 13th, 1974, if I'm not mistaken. That is correct. Yep. And everybody knows this uh, Ronald DeFeo Jr. Um, who had, I think has recently, he recently died in prison, um, uh, killed his family and the family was pretty, uh, the circumstances behind the deaths are, are kind of captivating. Mm -hmm. So just to kind of break it down. Um, so Ronald DeFeo Jr. was living with his family, which included his mother and father and uh, four other siblings. Um, Ronald DeFeo Sr., Louis, uh, Luis DeFeo, and uh, his four brothers and sisters. Mm -hmm. Now, um, the so what happened that night was supposedly... Um, Ronald DeFeo Jr. went through the house and shot everybody and killed everybody in the house. And the circumstances behind it are they were all laying down face first in the bed, found shot in the back. Mm -hmm. And uh, so there's a lot that goes behind it. The investigators uh, of the case, um, they were trying to figure it out. And a lot of them, including the prosecutor um, of the case, I uh, also believe there might have been a second gunman, mm -hmm. um, but the alleged history that comes from this is Ronald DeFeo Jr. slaughtered his whole family. And that's mm -hmm. how the Amityville house supposedly became haunted that led mm -hmm. to the Lutz family deserting it. Yeah, it was um, if I don't know if you guys have actually seen the crime scene photos of them. Yep. Oh, yeah. Oh, mm -hmm. my gosh. So it's it was, rough. Yeah. Rough. So they so people aren't confused they called ronnie defeo jr he went by the nickname butch um his dad senior they called big ronnie his mom was louise they were 43 but the siblings dawn was 18 she was yep. upstairs then there was allison who was 13 
Mark was 12 and Mark was, they had a wheelchair in Mark's room because he had, he was the football player and he had broken his ankle at school. And then John was nine. All of them were shot with a 35 caliber lever action Marlin 336. And it was around three o'clock in the morning. And what was really weird was everybody seemed to have been shot in the back or from behind. Now the, the parents, they were shot twice, but all the kids were killed with a single shot. So it, the physical evidence showed that I think it was what the mom for sure. And one of the, the girls, I'm not sure if it was, I think it was Allison. They were actually awake at the time of their death. So one of them was shot in the head too. Yeah. I think the older sister. Yeah. So I also think that from what I read um, that the, so who was it? The County coroner. Um, he, th- so there's a couple of investigators that said that I know Evan mentioned that one was shot in the head and that was the oldest sister, Dawn. Is that correct? Yeah. Um, but from what I read that they think that it, it wasn't that she was shot in the head. Um, because there was no blood spl- splatter on the back, like the, her headboard on her bed was completely clean, and they think that that she supposedly was bludgeoned in the head, sat into the bed, and was shot in the back, and that would explain I the coroner report that s- showed where they removed a bullet fragment from her head. Well, it says it said crime scene investigators discovered that Don had suffered a huge head wound. Um, and so her headboard was supposedly right there and didn't have anything on it. And so the theory is, of course, the prosecutor thinks that there was a second, uh, uh, there was another gunman and supposedly they, there's the theory that Don helped him commit the murders. And then he took her out, shot her outside the bed or hit her in the head with something and then placed her in the bed and shot her in the bed in the back or wherever it was that she was shot. But I don't, that's just what, it, from what I read from, you know, this is about the crime scene investigators and stuff. Where so did I don't you know. get that, that from? That was from, give me one second, looking it up. In the book? Uh, it what says the, the unredacted. Unredacted what? Oh, okay. Yeah. So it just goes to the complete, like it, the whole family and it has, breakdowns of the evidence and of course there's crime scene pictures and everything like that so that's what they suggest and that's the theory which actually sounds kind of plausible if you think about it but we would never know because she's dead so who is they what do you mean you, like, you said that's what they suggest who is they oh well in this article so that's what the crime oh, okay. scene investigators and then dr howard out adelman the deputy chief medical examiner at Suffolk uh-huh. county as well um, he believes he said he felt it was impossible for one person to have committed these crimes. And he, he also examined the body, um, because there was, you know, there's also, you know, me and you talked about Melanie where mm-hmm. it, you know, how does somebody lay face down in a house, all everybody. And after one gunshot, not get up. Right. Mm-hmm. Which you, you talked about some of them were bracing the, the pillow or whatnot. The, ch- the um, boys. Right. So. Um, you know, I thrown out there like maybe they got drugged. I mean, that's the only way I could think of. But this same article also says that they did extensive toxicology and not only of the blood and the urine, but on all organs that they removed and zero. They found nothing in the body that would suggest that they were drugged. So that was out the window, too. Hey, I was wrong about uh, when I said they extracted a bullet from her skull. It was just metal fragments that were extracted from Don's skull. Yeah, Allison was the one that was shot in the face, and she was shot from less than two feet away. So they surmised that she probably turned around and saw the muzzle of the gun because the bullet entered her left cheek and moved up to her right ear, tore into the brain. And as it exited, it went through the mattress and hit the back wall and ricocheted off the floor. And what's the reason why they know that like, you know, there was no struggle in her room was Allison was very much into puzzles and would retreat into a room because Ronnie senior, big Ronnie was extremely abusive. Now this was, there's dysfunctional homes. And then there was the DeFeo homes. Um, 
So their dad was physically, emotionally, and verbally just abusive. He was so volatile. He also believed that he had like this one-on-one conversation with God and he had visions and things like that. He was essentially going crazy. So she would hide in her room and do puzzles. Well, there was this very large puzzle on a very fragile looking table and it was completely undisturbed. So if someone had run in from what they were saying Um, in the interviews that I had seen with not only the detectives on the case, but also the medical examiner was that there would have, you know, you would have found puzzle pieces on the floor or it would have fallen over and it was completely untouched. Dawn was shot at the back of her neck from approximately two and a half feet away. The bullet entered just below her left ear And it blasted through the left temple onto her pillow so that the left side of her face collapsed. There were brain particles mixed with the blood that saturated her pillow. Jesus. Yeah. I think it's it's quite ironic that you said that um, uh, Ronald DeFeo Sr. Uh said that he was hearing God tell him that. And it's just really ironic that, uh, of course, you had Ronald DeFeo Jr. saying the devil told him to do it. Well, initially, uh, Butch didn't, Butch DeFeo, which is the one who killed him, you know, so we don't confuse them. He actually went by the name Butch. Yeah, sorry. For the longest time in in the beginning of the interview, he claimed that it was someone in the mob that actually did it. Yeah, didn't they have a guy from the mob like live with them or something for a little while? I don't know if he, I don't think they, he lived with him, but Michael Brigante Sr., who was the grandfather, he owned a, a cars dealership. He was extremely wealthy and he did, I th- he was with the Gam, he worked with, and I say worked with air quotes because it's not just in this case it had come up in other racketeering cases his name would constantly come up with the gambino crime factory crime factory crime family <laughs> i know like a crime factory like they had what? an address and everything <laughs> yes they did and they manufactured uh made crime men, you know <laughs> also there's pete defeo who so from the defeo side and he was also a made man in a different mob family. There was an argument between Butch DeFeo and some Tony something or other. And he called this guy a cocksucker. Cocksucker, 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 cocksucker. And the guy said he was going to get him because even though to us, you know, I call you guys cocksuckers all the time. It's not a big deal. You call someone like that in public a name like that. And he said that it was going to he was going to retaliate. So for the longest time, he blamed it on the mob. And then it wasn't until the next morning or the next day when they came back because they found uh, empty shell box like ammo boxes. They found his weapon and that they said, nope, you did it. And so the story kind of changed. Now, what's also crazy about that, I don't know, if Chris, if you found out about this, when he was being uh, placed in the police car, Butch DeFeo, the cops actually put him in protective custody because they thought it was a mob hit. Well, as they were putting Butch into the squad car, Michael Brigante starts telling Butch DeFeo, you know, don't worry, we're going to get you out. Or how could this happen? They're setting up my my grandson. And then Pete DeFeo tells him to shut the fuck up. This is about family. And Michael Brigante didn't say another word. And that's where that information come from. The police report, um, you know, the detectives on site, they had to type up everything. And there is a phenomenal documentary um, that Ryan Katzenbach put together. And they show 
the interviews with the officers who were on site along with this medical examiner and they show the crime scene photos as well as the documentations really up close as well as the evidence they were given access to the evidence wow so there you have it, folks. But on the flip side, there were holy relics all over the fucking place. This was a very well devout Catholic family, but Louise wasn't. She because everything that was going on with her husband, she kind of detached herself from the Catholic church in a way because he was just going crazy and he was beating the fuck out of all of them. Hmm. It was insanity. And there was, to me, there was just straight evil in this, in this man. Well, I mean, that's wild. So if you don't mind me asking Melanie, so how did, how did it go? Like, so if it was, if it was a mafia deal, so why was Butch the only one charged? Can you kind of go into what, do you know what they found to, to make it just so that they focused it on him and not. that The reason else? why it was, it was Butch was charged was because it was his weapon. He was the only surviving member. He's the one who found them. All of the tangible evidence seemed to point to him. When you're looking at just the tangible evidence, the the murder weapon was his it came from his closet the shells and the bullets came from the boxes that were found in his closet so you know there and honestly when you're dealing with the mob you're not going to snitch you are much better off blaming it on satan and his minions <laughs> Yeah, because you want that tongue. You want to keep that tongue. Yeah. So did Butch ever, like, ever actually admit to killing his whole family? Like, say it, I, yeah, I shot them all. I, I didn't see, I, I, so I read that he had also blamed it on his sister helping him. I didn't see, Don? I'm assuming he took responsibility. I didn't, I didn't go into that part. I assumed since he was the only one charged that he admitted that he shot him. Is that correct? Like he admitted that he did the the murders. You're talking about Butch? Yeah. Yeah. According to what I was reading, that he was tortured essentially and admitted that he was the one who did it all by himself. Fucking tortured? Well, that's what I was reading. They used the word like tortured. Like the police just beat his ass till he said, Yeah, I did it. I don't know. Uh, it was just something that I had read, and I'm trying to find out where I where I had gotten that. But I think we I lost. I think we lost Melanie. Could have been a quick pee break. Don't know. Yeah, um, I'm looking it up right now. Uh, it says after confessing okay, to the sorry. murders, he was convicted in November 1975. So the question right. is, no, you're fine. Uh, so uh, Evan asked, did he actually ever confess to the murders? Mm-hmm. Who Yes. Yeah, he did. Yeah, that, right when you came back, that's when I found it. And then, yes, he did confess to the murders. He claimed that he killed him in self-defense. Yeah, <laughs> that's wild. That during no during his trial, I'm not I'm not even shitting you. His attorney at first tried uh, an insanity plea right. and said that he was hearing voices that told him that you know the his whole family was out to get him, and then he claimed he was possessed. Um. Well, but, he was an alcoholic and he, a heroin yeah. addict. So. And then he said, well, he wasn't a heroin addict. He did do drugs occasionally, but he was an alcoholic. That's why. Uh, are you familiar with uh, a guy by the name of Asuna that wrote a book about this, opening everything back up? Because he was the one that was actually saying that he was an alcoholic and a heroin addict. He did use heroin and LSD. Um, yeah. Yeah. That's, I mean, Dr. Harold Zolan testified on behalf of the prosecution saying yeah. that yeah he did do that and he also had antisocial personality disorder so there's but, so many things in there there's, there's such a, a soup of, of just head screws in there yeah know? 
Did you guys read the statement that he wrote when he was arrested, like six pages or whatever? He was. (laughs) Is it crazy? it's, It's it's pretty wild, but he does say that he had earlier that day he had been in a friend's house and he had used heroin and he made it specifically a point to say that I use heroin, but I'm not an addict. Well, yeah, but you know, he also had a wife and she, and he has a daughter. Yeah. So, and she's the one who like, so there was a guy who used to really befriend the Lutzes and he was helping the Lutzes and uh, the Warrens with an original Amityville horror documentary about how this house was haunted and the history of the haunting. I'm going to, I'll find his name for you in a second, but he then got this really random phone call. Butch's wife actually called him and said, anybody who says that that house is haunted is lying. That was never haunted before. And none of this stuff ever happened. He was like, well, how the fuck do you know? And she was like, because I lived at 112 Ocean Avenue for a long time. I was Butch's wife. And he was like, what? He was like, how do you know? So he started asking her questions about how do you know about this and that? And she described, she was like, look at what was, what was Luis DeFeo holding at the time of her murder? And she said she was holding her heart locket. She was there. And um, she, you know, all the time. So she knew that Luis all replaced her rosary with that heart locket. And that was never released to the public. So then he started asking her more questions. And then lo and behold, the family friends confirmed, yeah, Butch was married. They had a daughter. They Butch didn't actually live in the house. He lived like 90 miles away. Wait, what? So he didn't even live there at the time? No. So, but what? Was he just crashing there overnight? Yeah, so Ronnie DeFeo, yeah, Ronnie DeFeo would, the senior, big Ronnie, made him come back home every once in a while and spend the night. And apparently the night before, Dawn, the oldest daughter, and her dad had gotten in this absolutely horrific fight. Butch and his wife were in the middle of dinner when the mom called and said, your dad is out of control. There's a huge fight, blah, 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 blah. We need your help. She was screaming. She was crying. And so that's the reason why Butch went back home the night before. That kind of. Well, so, you, so you're saying Don got into it with him the night before the murders? Yeah. Don hated her father. She had, in fact, she had openly tried to get people in on trying to whack her dad. So going back to what I stated earlier, do you think that's out of the realm of possibility that she may have helped with this? If given the fact that she tried those things, what do you think it's out of the realm of possibility that maybe Don really did help with this and then they took her out? Is that plausible at all? I don't think so because she was shot in the head in bed. She was still in her pajamas upstairs. Right. You know? but, yeah. That's well, that's why I guess just where, where I've read where it said that the investigator said that that, you know, what I stated earlier, that's why I'm just, I'm kind of confused. Like, but I don't know. Like if, it, it seemed like everybody, her and Butch had uh, animosity towards the dad. So oh, it kind of makes yeah. sense. I mean, it just kind of makes sense. But mm-hmm. why, why would, why would Don have gotten shot though? You know what I mean? Like if he did it and let's say both him and Don hated the dad, why would Don get shot? I don't know, but that's why I'm saying I, I mean, why would any of the other kids get shot? That's why I think it's, yeah. I, I, why that's why I think it was more mob related because keep in mind though, also yeah. senior big Ronnie had been skimming the books he had stolen over two hundred thousand dollars and when that 
car dealership is being used to front stuff for the mob, you're essentially stealing from the Gambinos. It's not stealing. It's borrowing. Yeah. Well, you know how the mobs work. You cross them. They take out your, they literally take out your whole family. But no I, thought, I thought that there is a kind of like a rule that you, with Italian yep. mobs, that you, you don't at. kill children. Right. I thought that that was the way that they rolled. But it's if supposed it's supposed to be, but uh-huh. yeah, but. Doesn't it have to be on agreement or is it all the time? And I only say that, and this is not a legitimate source, but we were watching Peaky Blinders and they had, they had beef with one of the, one of the uh, Sicilian mobs and they made an agreement that kids and women were not to be like, unless that agreement takes place, then everybody's on the table basically, but they agreed no kids, no women this time. So I wonder, is it, that's why you've always heard, like they'll take out your whole family. Was there something uh, something done since there were two rivalry. You said there were two rivaling, um families mm-hmm. in the mob there. What if they're like, oh, well, this is a big issue. Everything's on the table now, and they took out the kids too. I mean, is that plausible? I don't, I don't know how that stuff works. I don't know. Butch DeFeo gave so many different versions as to mm-hmm. what happened. You know, he he first he said it was a mob hit. He has a daughter. Doesn't want his daughter being wiped out you know so if i were him and it really was a mob hit i'd come up with something else which he did he said it was him then he said demons and he was in some sort of drug-induced fog and he heard demons telling him to kill everybody in his family but his wife was saying that he he wasn't using that night you know they were eating dinner and he was talking about working for the post office to try and get away from the dad. Then he said his mom snapped. And she killed the whole family. But obviously forensics proved that's impossible. Granted, she did wake up, um, but she was still cl- shot at close range. Then he said his sister Dawn was the killer and he had to kill her in self-defense. I mean, it was so many different stories, regardless of which he went probably fucking nuts so because his entire family was wiped out in one night and he saw it all and he probably knows that the reason why and is scared shitless so i would like to say if if any of those are plausible then that would safely um kind of debunk the house even damn being haunted okay so let's go to the lutz's claims Right. Right. That's what I was waiting for. Yeah. Fast forward a little bit. Let, let's yeah. So let's go there. Chris, what did you find out about the Lutzes? So uh I actually there's there's uh I found a little interview that was done with one of the Lutz family members, Christopher Quarantino. Does that sound correct? Um he was I think seven when all this stuff went down when they moved into the house. Um so there were, you know, he claims that in the interview that, you know, some of the stuff happened and then, but he also claims that his dad made up a lot of stuff. And the reason why I'm getting to this is because I want to kind of dive into George Lutz a little bit. Um, if that's okay, or do we need to do a timeline real quick? Because you do start where they fucking buy the house. Yeah. Okay. So, so they buy the house, um, in 1976, uh, after the murders, obviously. Yeah. So um, when they moved in, that's supposedly when the activity started. Now, according to Christopher Quarantino, his dad was also really big into the paranormal, like already before they even moved in, that he was extremely curious of everything paranormal and supposedly tried summoning stuff into the house. Like he goes into all that. Um, but there were claims that were happening. Um, I didn't, I didn't really get too much into that just to be honest, because I was trying to, I was going off of this interview where it kind of debunks the, a lot of what his dad did and, you know, 
and he also states that his dad and mother go into the thing with the warrants. I don't know a lot about that. I didn't dig too far into that. Um, Melanie, I don't know if you can, if you can go in on it at all. Sorry. What? So as far <laughs> sorry, as sorry, my kids trying to talk to me at the same time. I'm sorry. So as far as the LUTs are yeah. concerned, um, like I said, is there anything that you you found? Out? I mean, there's there's all the claims from the dad and the the parents. It's supposedly, you know, all the stuff that was happening in the house within that 28 days. Uh, like the green shadowy, slime on the, the wall. Green The shadowy figures and the banging of the house uh, got real bad. Um, stuff like that. Uh, is there anything else that you know? That they claimed? Melanie? Yes. No, that's pretty much. They, they only lived there 28 days. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, then there's, they, there's not they a whole lot out. there. But mm -hmm. I, so what I was referring to is then I found this interview with one of the children. Because ever since then, like, the, like I guess George and... Um, the uh, the wife they you know they shortly they divorced like in 1988 shortly after, mm -hmm. um, but the son or I guess George was the stepfather. Yes, he was the stepdad. Yes, he was the stepdad, and uh, like I said, Chris Quarantino, um, they moved in Andrewville House, obviously, uh, and then he states that a lot of the stuff like his dad was like almost conjuring this stuff in. Is what he states. He said his dad was very big into the paranormal, but then he also goes to state that he feels like his dad was trying to exploit a situation that happened with the DeFeo murders. And that might have been that might have pushed towards them buying this house. Um, so but uh, unfortunately, from the article I, I read that it was never they couldn't get a hold of George Lutz to even he, he couldn't re he would never return the call or anything. Well, there's a guy named Rick Osuna, and he did like extensive, extensive research into what happened at Amityville. And he wrote a book and he used to be have it like a real close business relationship with George Lutz. He felt that the Lutz's children's were used as part of a scam and it affected them mentally. And even though he used to have a business relationship with George Lutz, the more he started discovering about how things that they were claiming wasn't making sense, he started to talk, question George Lutz. And he was told, look, and he quotes this in his book. He says, George Lutz told him, quote, clearing up what happened isn't as, isn't as important as making more money with sequels. He then, yeah. So that's when Rick Osuna was like, the fuck, what the fuck is wrong with you, dude? You know, this isn't right. You know, that wasn't true. Apparently, Rick Osuna called it out as a hoax. And George Lutz tried to sue him, but he ended up losing in court. There is video footage of a news crew that actually went into the 112 Ocean Avenue and they invite Lorraine in there and she's laying on the bed and she claims to hear this and that. And even the anchor person says, and what about those strange voices, including the one that reportedly told a Catholic priest to get out? Were those voices real or imagined? I heard them father. I heard voices. Not I, the most prominent voice I heard that night was that of my crew. Not demanding to get out, but asking when they were going to eat the sandwiches we brought along. Often I'm asked if I was scared during that night in the house at 112 Ocean Avenue. No, I was not. It would be more accurate for me to say that the two hours I spent watching the movie Friday night with a rowdy, disruptive, pot-smoking audience was much more of a horror. 
And you in that news clipping, it seems like Lorraine is trying to convince this anchor that no, 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 you hear spirits. No, 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 you hear a growl. And he's like, I don't hear <laughs> he's basically looking at her like, bitch, I don't see I don't hear shit. I hear shit. Never mind. No. You fucking crazy. Like, what the fuck is wrong with you? No. So who called the Warrens when they left? The Lutzes. The the mm -hmm. Yeah, the Lutzes called them. That's even more sus. Yeah, I, here's my whole thing is that no one before and no one after ever said there was anything paranormal. I think the Lutz, George Lutz went in there, thought that, hey, there's all these people dying. He got it for what, $60,000, $80,000. He was able to buy the property, something super cheap because obviously it was the site of a mass murder. And he he was just like, hey, let's turn this over for profit. And then he slipped up when he exposed himself to an author who was a huge, huge supporter and actually believed him and then started posing things out saying, hey, George, buddy, old pal. This shit doesn't make sense because so-and-so lived in this house. She's still alive and she's saying none of this shit happened. And then George Lutz turns around and says, that doesn't matter. All that matters is the money that you can make from sequels. Jesus. What a, what a classy guy. Oh, you know, we're only dealing. We only deal with classy people. Who the fuck are we talking about? Right? Yeah. <laughs> Now I did I did find uh, something interesting too. Where uh, I don't know if you saw this, Melanie, but there's a, a a former investigative reporter in Amityville in the late '70s, Laura Didio. Um, she also interviewed the Lutz family in 1976, and she claims to have been there during the so-called psychic slumber party that they had at the Amityville with the Warrens. Did you hear about this? No. Where yeah, she, five psychics in there, or, or a team yeah. of professional psychics is what. Now they, yeah, here's my was, question: Were they certified by a UCLA parapsychologist like Lorraine? Are they just like A level light transmediums? Are they C's? Or are they like the above average? <laughs> They're on the spectrum. I don't okay. really know. <laughs> but, <laughs> but she did. But she did go into some things. And uh, one of the things, like she started off saying that uh, that during that time, what she recalls, uh, like during the Warren's visits when she was there, she was walking through the house with Lorraine Warren, and Warren and Lorraine didn't take notice and didn't even know which room belonged to who, but somehow she came upon you know, Butch's room where he supposedly stayed and like stopped at the door. And that's where she got a heavy feeling and came with the line. This is the closest to hell I ever want to get. This is as close to hell as I ever want to get. If that sounds familiar, that was used in one of the movies, right? Yeah. So, so this Laura Didio went on further to say like, she just didn't even know anything about the house and then, but somehow found his room. And that's the only room that she focused on, which to me, she probably had knowledge of that room. And that's why she let her down there. Um, Cause she knew that's where Ronald was, or that Butch was staying. But on this psychic slumber party, she goes into detail with that. And she said, this included a film crew, the Warrens, uh, Warrens research associate, photographer and a couple of psychics and the Lutz family and the paranormal investigators that the Lutz family invited. It was 21 people in all. And she labeled it as like a party atmosphere. Take that. And yeah. Oh yeah. It gets good. So this is where like uh, supposedly you know, they're going through and they're doing this whole investigation or whatever they're doing. And she basically says there wasn't really anything that happened. The event that happened that night was a, one of the news crew guys showed up, I guess kind of late and he was going up the stairs to go up to the second floor and all of a sudden had a heart palpitation, which he had never gotten before. And he just like, he kind of fell down and like, he, you know, it took the wind out of him and he said his his, you know, his chest felt heavy and apparently the psychics and Lorraine took off with that. Okay. And 
and with that, and this is it, she was there that night, you know, this is a, is a pretty cool little article. And she states that like the psychics were like chasing this thing to the house. Like one would say, Oh, he's up here. And then all of a sudden it would go quiet. And then another one says they, everybody kept feeling these tingles or coldness, you know what I mean? Like a temperature difference. <laughs> oh, and then Lord. they feed, they fed <laughs> they off of that. Obviously not. <laughs> yes. A yeah. grade <laughs> or above average medium. Right. Right. Clearly, so, they were on the average scale. Right. The average. Yep. And it was from this little thing, I guess, is where Lorraine claims that the entity followed her and Ed home across the country was from this little seance they had that night. Really? Because what's so funny is that when George Lutz testified, because uh, he went to court like in 1979 regarding all of this stuff. Um, he testified in a Brooklyn federal court that he netted $100,000 from the initial book and another $100,000 from the Amityville horror film. And then there, he also got sued and he had to settle with a man named William Weber, who was his friend, who noted that the reason why they had to settle was because William Weber said that he and George Lutz came up with the idea of what was supposed to happen, like the quote unquote haunting. They were working together. Oh, yeah. And th so basically they plotted this whole and conjured <laughs> I play on oh, words oh, right oh, there. Thank word. you. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, <laughs> they plotted they over bottles of wine. They basically got drunk. He and George Lutz and probably Kathy too, talking about certain details of the DeFeo killings. And so wouldn't it be cool if it if you know we make this story up about how it's all haunted and all this other stuff, and they were gonna go bank on that, except the Lutzes snatched that story up and ran to town with it first. And they, and he, so he sued them for breach of contract because the whole book idea and the whole collaboration was between him, William Weber, and the Lutzes. And they were supposed to title it Devil on My Back. What kind of shit is that? Hell no. Come on. So he sued them and yeah. they actually had to settle for about out this? of court. Well, fucking story over right there. <laughs> yeah, That's I mean, this, this was all about money from the start, without a doubt. I mean, it just and even like I said, the quarantino, the, the son I was mentioning earlier, he calls him out. He said his, he point. he said everybody points the finger at the house and says there's something evil. And then he said the finger should be pointed at George Lutz. He's the perpetrator and an instigator. Yeah. And yeah. So who did they sell the house to the Lutzes? Uh, like how quickly did they sell the house when they allegedly, you know, fled it after 28 days? Did they make a, I mean, I'm, what I'm getting at is did they make a big profit? Well, after, to be honest, I don't know. I know that since then the house is worth over half a million dollars. It's been so remodeled. You can't even tell yeah, that sure. it was the same thing, but Newsday. And um, which was, a, you know, the newspaper had conducted this major elaborate investigation of the whole Lutz story and the, the haunting and everything else. And they found so many contradictions and they kept going to, to press over it. And there was a reporter named Jim Scovell. And they talked to outside witnesses, people who knew the Lutzes, people who knew the DeFeos and everything else, that the Lutzes, by the time they were done with the investigation, the Lutzes' credibility, along with the children who were in on what was going on, were completely shot. I mean, it was, they even claimed that there was this uh, Father Manusco that was there to help exercise the house and and had conferred with Lorraine and Ed Warren. Well, actually, Newsday found the priest and it was a Reverend Ralph Pecoraro or something like that. And he said, no, he he'd never even been near the house. 
He <laughs> was, he knew Kathy during her first marriage. He had been, um, he had mentored George, George, because George was a Methodist and he had to convert to Catholicism in order to get married to Kathy. But outside of that, he'd never been to 112 Ocean Avenue. And he referred them to go to a local parish priest, but they never went. And he knows that because he followed it up. Uh, He he said that the uh, Rockville Center, where they said it always smelled uh, like feces and stuff like that, which was supposedly a satanic sign. He said he lived there at Rockville Center and. No, all of the priests there, they've never complained about anything. It's its fine. In fact, they've always, these priests make fun of the Warrens and the Lutzes. Huh. Yeah. So, so, yeah. To, so to answer your question, Evan, I just, I, I found this. Um, it's reported that uh, the next owner after the Lutzes reportedly purchased the home for $55,000. So they took a loss on it. It's what it says here. I mean, it's going to be hard. Like you, we'd have to really go into the property and try to figure out the actual like property history. But that's what it says on this site. It says they bought it for eighty-eight thousand. Is that correct? Is that did you get that, Melanie? Yeah. Have you seen that? Yeah. So and then they support. Then the next one's fifty-five thousand, and then in two thousand ten, it was purchased for nine fifty. So yeah. I mean, the, quite a, the other quite a claim, big history. The other claim that George Lutz made and that Lorraine uh, and Ed Warren repeated was that they would see the face of a pig that would stare out of what was <gasps> the daughter's window at 315 Christmas morning, which was the hour of the defailed murders. And the quote, the orb of the full moon was like a huge flashlight. What they said, but then if you look up in the world almanac, the moon was in its third quarter that night. It had already set <laughs> well before midnight. Maybe, maybe astrologist clearly, right? Maybe Ed and Lorraine dipped in. They found uh, Butch's stash, LSD stash, and went on a little ride. Saw them a little pighead. Mm-hmm. That's what happened. But they also to note too is all these people that bought this home since then, none of them have claimed that they've had any kind of experiences in the house. Apparently. Have you heard anything? Have you read anything else about that, Melanie? What do it you seems mean? Like, like, so all the owners after the Lutzes, nobody's ex- apparently has experienced any no, kind yeah, of activity in nobody, the house. Nobody. Yeah. And that's yeah. what the Butch's what wife was saying too, that there was never anything outside of Big Ron- Big Ronnie. There was nothing haunted ever in that house before, during, or after. Um, Ed Warren stated on multiple occasions, if this was a hoax, we wouldn't be in on it or the priest. Why would they leave behind their possessions on the mere chance of a bestseller? They lost $400,000, but that's not the point. Well, they didn't lose $400,000 because in court, George Lutz even admitted that he walked away with 200 grand and they bought it for far less. And with them and what they did take into the house, it wasn't, they really didn't take much into the house. They didn't have a whole lot because they were already struggling financially. How much could you really unpack in 28 days? They didn't have much is what I mean is that he admitted that the, the Lutzes admitted under oath that they were, financially prior to all of this in trouble yeah didn't they have some irs stuff going yeah, on yeah they had a they had they needed to bank off of this. <laughs> it was one yeah. of those things mm-hmm. and, and of course you know the warrens are going to help with that because sure. they were in the same they were in the same boat seems like they were really looking for that fame and to capitalize money-wise mm-hmm. do you agree melanie mm-hmm. i think it seems seems to be the theme over the past couple of um, cases we've gone through so it doesn't surprise me that the Lutzes were in you know in the same boat looking to just capitalize monetarily you know monetizing it so the end of the day I don't believe there was anything haunted 
in in this house. I do believe it was probably mob related. Though the Gambino crime circuit on one side, and then you have another mob on the other side of the family. You have the senior who's stealing money from basically the Gambino uh, crime family, huge no-no, and he was extremely abusive. You have Butch, who was a, a notorious alcoholic, and he also did LSD. He did heroin. You had Dawn, who also had issues, and she had gotten in a physical altercation with the dad. I mean, there was turmoil. There was chaos in there, but none of it was satanic. There, You have someone who openly admitted, hey, I also came up with this story. They were, it, this was a collaboration. I deserved half of the money, and they have to settle out of court. And then you have a news crew that goes in there with Lorraine Warren on camera and the it, the newscaster made it out like it was a joke. He was like, yeah, shit ain't <laughs> yeah. happening. What was this quote? The only thing active was my news crew news wondering crew. when lunch, lunch was going to be. be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And all he the only growls he hears is from his crew's stomach. <laughs> yeah. And, and and but she's there and she's like, you felt it right. And he's like, nah, no, no, no. And she's God. laying on the bed trying to describe things. I mean, green ooze coming out of the wall. Seriously, bro. Come on. That's the best you could come up with. A pig? Yes, there was a pig staring out the window at 315. Well, what the fuck were you doing outside looking up in the window at 315 on Christmas Eve? It begins at 315. If it's ever going to end. 315. And then he said the orb of the moon and the whole almanac, along with the weather channel, confirms it was a dark night. It was a cold, dark night. The, the moon had set. There was just, I think he was trying to bank him. Yeah. And for Ed Warren to say, if this were a hoax, we wouldn't be involved. If this were a hoax, that's when you guys are involved. That's when they were involved. The truth drop. Be, if it wasn't a hoax, they wouldn't be involved. It's when it is a hoax, that's when they are. Seems to be the pattern. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you got to just put two plus two equals four here. It's there is a pattern, mm-hmm. and it's just it's easy to expose when the Warrens are affiliated with something. It just there's a pattern. It just yeah, is. <laughs> <laughs> it's a pattern of bullshit. Well, That's their right. portion. I I will say there's other cases that we're going to touch this week that I, you know, just because they're involved, I I see their portion of involvement that pattern but then when you remove them then you know you 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 might have something i agree it seems like once they came involved it's like the lutzes knew who the warrens were before they made these claims because they sought out the warrens and i think they knew what would happen if they sought out the warrens ed and lorraine would be like fuck yeah or i'm sorry they wouldn't say fuck they would say yeah. Jiminy Crickets. Heck yeah. Let's Golly go. gosh. Yeah. What? Timmy fell down the well. So yeah, they would Jimmy go, Willikers. They would run out there because Ed would all he could see are like money signs. We gotta get in on this, buddy. <laughs> What's that, Lassie? What's that, Lassie? That's a demon. <laughs> and you know, and we gotta get a priest involved. What? No priest will be in, involved in this. Well, let's call Father Gershnaferker. And <laughs> lo and behold, nobody's gonna be able to find that guy. Did you say nerf fucker? What'd you say? That <laughs> was right. Nerfurker, yes. yeah. Yes, and nobody is going to like say, well, this priest doesn't exist because you don't do that to the Catholic Church in the 70s and early 80s. Nope. Nope. 
but I, I agree with Melanie. I do believe that there are some experiences with some of these cases coming up where families are involved that I do believe that there might, there might be some experiences that were genuine with the family. They think that they experienced. Now with this family, like the Lutz children, I think they got fucked up by all of this. Oh, for sure. Yeah. You know, they're young. They were impressionable. You know, the kid was like six. So from all this stuff, they're poisoning his mind and he's seeing, you know, this quote unquote demonologist and this above average certified light transmedium coming in saying, oh, my God, do you sense that spirit? The kid's going to be like, holy fuck. And And he knows that six, you know, six people were murdered in this house. He's going to believe it. It's going to fuck with them. Yeah. 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 You know how children, their imaginations can just kind of wonder. So, I mean, and that's what, that's crazy. And there's even beef between the children and the father or or the stepfather. So, I mean, there's, there's definitely some huge red flags. And I think there's like Melanie said, there was some hostile, hostile environment will, will create some chaos. And I just believe that, you know, they they were negatively affected by this for sure. Yeah. Um, But this is one where I think the Lutz family, legitimately the father, stepfather came in thinking we can make some money from this. Yeah. So let's get the Warrens involved. Let's do this. They're the big dogs on premise. And let's let's see what we can get. And then they had to hurry because they didn't want to cut their buddy in who came up with half the story. That's the big (laughs) thing people are forgetting. Even if you don't want to, you know, Scooby-Doo all of the rest of the claims, George Lutz settled with this dude. You know, they came to a settlement agreement. Yeah. Basically saying, you're right, I'm wrong. The guy came forward and said, bro, we were drinking bottles of wine. And we said, let's do this because George was hurting for money. And they beat me to it. And so that's breach of contract. Yeah. And that should that should also have the listeners think, okay, well, I mean, shouldn't Ed and Lorraine warn that people that don't mess with things that are not, you know, legitimate, genuine, mm-hmm. why did they get involved? If they if this was, you know, obviously this this has come out and they 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 should have known. Mm-hmm. They should have known. Yeah. Because because they only sure do le- legitimate cases. They only do legitimate cases. Yeah. It, it, yeah. <laughs> I will say the actual story of what happened in that house before the Lutzes tainted it. I said taint. Um, I'm a no. child. I, I just can't. Something's wrong with me. I'm so immature. But anyway, <laughs> the DeFeo murders themselves. It that part to me is more haunting than any possible ghost because the fact that you can kill kids. And I think they knew what was going on. How could you not hear these shotgun blasts? Impossible. Impossible. They knew it it was was coming. It was, it was, you know, what happened was the orb of the moon took over at three 15 AM. Yeah. It, what were you thinking, Paul? I, I wasn't. God. It it to me is just <laughs> to, it's just so sickening. And it's so scary when you think for one second, to me, this is more haunting than anything else. Imagine being that 13-year-old or 12-year-old or 10-year-old, however year old kid hearing these seeing someone in your doorway and you know you're going to die. Yeah. That's fucked up. That yeah. Is. That to me. And Ronnie DeFeo, I think Butch DeFeo, he 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 knew he was never going to get out of jail. But also he had a kid. He had a wife. And if there was the mob involved do you really want the the last bit of your family gone? No. And he probably went crazy thinking, I killed my kid brothers. I killed my kid sister. Don, he, you know, they fought anyway. From what I heard, you know, Don was not 
she had the temper of her father. She was very yeah. volatile like her father as well. So, and I don't know. I will say I'm going to recommend to people, if you really want to know the true story of what happened with the DeFeo murders, I'm not even going to call it the Amityville haunting anymore because let's face it, there was no haunt involved. I recommend there you can go on YouTube. I'm, I'm almost positive. It's probably still up there. There is a documentary, um, Ryan Katzenbach. There's several parts of it. It's called shattered hopes, but it tells the true story of the Amityville murders. It's quite possibly one of the best doc, if not the best documentary on what happened in Amityville, not only with the DeFeo murders, but also with the Lutzes and how things got, con you know, skewed. They show the homicide evidence that from Suffolk, Suffolk County, um, they do talk about aspects of the DeVeo household, the relationship with the mob, which I absolutely fucked up. And <laughs> you, as, you got lock your door. Yeah, I know. I'm sorry. I'm I'm so not a godfather watching kind of person. Um and they also talked to the person that I was telling you about that was involved in production of the Amityville horror and the book. And he knew the Lutzes and what George Lutz had said to him. So again, the uh, show is shattered hopes, the true story of the Amityville murders by Ryan Katzenbach. Yeah. Yeah. All so right. it's safe to say, it's safe to say this is more of a true crime case than it is anything paranormal yes yes absolutely I'm still I, I keep hearing a, a fart mute click a fart yeah it's called a fart mute click you know you click your your mute so you can fart or cough or whatever nope no nope. i would fart sorry right on here i have no qualms about it <laughs> i would absolutely <laughs> i would bust ass right now if I had one brewing but <laughs> lucky for you I do not because I just heard the click and I'm like yep, it's somebody's... probably it's probably me I was using my mic thing uh, apologies I, w I wasn't farting I was just <laughs> making sure you, I was just <laughs> making sure my heavy breathing wasn't like that's exactly what I was doing and our listeners don't know is like our production team is going to fucking hate us for this episode because yes. we done fucked this episode up in so many ways. You dick. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. I reckon there's a ghost. That was a hot mess inside a dumpster fire inside a train wreck. That was the worst debate I have ever seen. In fact, it wasn't even a debate. It was a disgrace. They're going to be like, what the fuck is going on here? What are they talking about? Farts? <laughs> what you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. At no point in your rambling, incoherent response were you even close to anything that could be considered a rational thought. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. I kept hearing that click and I'm like, okay, that's that's gonna be like a fart click. Someone's got gas. I've never even heard of a fart click before, but now I'm gonna say it. And then you got Chris said, Nope, it was my mic. Put it up close to my face. I'm gonna get pink eye. You know, yeah. <laughs> Yo, the mic the mic I have has a little clicker thing where you can mute yourself. Oh, I didn't think you guys okay. could hear it. I didn't think y'all could Listen, hear it, Chris, so I was using it. Just poop like the rest of us. We all just fart. Yeah. It's a natural body function. Yeah. It's just... more heavy breathing because I'm fat. So I, <laughs> I don't want everybody thinking this kid over here like sounds like he's ready to tear up a 
whole thing of brownies and can't Talk breathe about fat. So get this fatness. Like I lost over 45 pounds and I was doing oh, really good. I was knocking it out. Thing. Oh no, no, no. And then I got put on medications uh, by the VA because I have some neck and spine issues and the pain was just like really bad lately. And they're like, okay, well, I want you to take this for three months. No problem. Took the meds in the three months of so this, this okay. medication caused me to gain 46 pounds. <laughs> oh, it's back. The steroid. Yeah. So then I was like, there's a problem. Like my fingers look like snossages and my oh. toes look like Vienna sausages. And well, girl, you know, my thumbs look like little baby carrots. What's going on? They're like, oh, you're kind of swelling. Oh, mm. Yeah, That's you shouldn't good. take that anymore, you think? That's right. <laughs> so don't worry, Chris. You're not the only fat one there. Me Thanks. too. But Thanks. We, we know that uh, Evan's not fat. I've seen every time I see him, I'm like, dude, do you lose weight? You look taller <laughs> every time I see him. He's and got a fat beard. Yeah, he does. He does. And then there's Paul. Yeah, there's Paul. Yeah. Paul's Isn't like he? an olive on top of a toothpick. Yeah. Olive being like his head because he's old, he's smart. And it's kind yeah. of balding up there. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm then he's a twig. I'm glad this portion of the uh of the podcast has turned into a roast. That's right. Oh, shit. <laughs> I totally forgot about that. <laughs> I lose you know it. Fox. <laughs> it's like melanie has had this this anger built up that all of She's our fashions and our weird like body shapes just bugger to death to get to town on us. i mean who needs self-empowerment when you've got me as a friend <laughs> wow she'll get you on the treadmill <laughs> there's that yeah what's next <laughs> <laughs> so, Do you miss us, Evan? <laughs> <laughs> Don't we boost your self-esteem, you fucker? <laughs> yeah. Oh. So you, what's fat, you fat bearded fuck. <laughs> finally, finally have an episode with you. I guess you didn't see her shadow again. I mean. <laughs> <laughs> so what's the next one? What came after Amityville? It was the infield poltergeist. Oh, that one's gonna oh. be good. Oh, yeah. yeah. So, ladies and germs, your okay, listeners, your homework before next week is to watch The Conjuring Two, the which is based off of the Enfield poltergeist. Now, this is the one that happened in jolly old England. I saw it. <laughs> it's cool. I actually liked this one too. It was better than the first. Lies. Uh, <laughs> I don't know about that. You better wash, wash your mouth out. out. <laughs> I was telling Jinx? Oh my god. I that was, was gonna... creepy. What? We're... Okay, let's end. We're going to end this. Yes, okay. So, <laughs> the homework for next week is to watch The Conjuring 2. Yes. We'll do. Nice. I like I like this one coming up. I will say well, we're waiting for mm. you. We're waiting for oh. Evan to. Oh. oh, I didn't know we were done. I'm sorry. Oh no, I gotta say that. No, you... Evan does it. Oh, no, okay. Evan's on. Show. Yeah. All right. Well, um, until we meet again, do me a favor, get your shit together, and for the love of all that is haunted, go unfuck yourself. Hey. <laughs>